One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. The New Statesman Hi, I'm Anoush, and this is the New Statesman's Politics Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the results from the two by-elections that took place yesterday in Tamworth and Mid-Bedfordshire. Hello, I'm Anoush Kellyan, Britain editor at the New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have our associate political editor, Rachel Cunliffe. And later joining us down the line, we'll have our senior data journalist and all-round polling guru, Ben Walker, to chat through the numbers. But Rachel, uh, you and I were actually on the campaign trail we doing were. a bit of reporting. Um, you went to Mid-Bedfordshire. Um, tell me what the result was there first um, and then tell me whether or not you expected it. So an overwhelming victory for Labour overturning a Conservative majority of over 24,000. And it was a really interesting race. And I think uh, one of the one of the more interesting seats looking at a sort of in general election terms because this was a three-way race. This was very, very tight between the Conservatives and both Labour and the Liberal Democrats who were challenging. And there aren't that many seats uh, across the country where it isn't obvious who the main yeah. rival to the Conservatives are. And that I think set the the dynamics in play for, for that seat. Like no one really knew what was going to happen. There was palpable anger at the Conservatives in general and specifically at Nadine Doris when I went there. People talked about uh, the mess after she kind of said she was going to resign and then she didn't for 10 weeks and wouldn't let a by-election happen. And they were very angry about that, but they were also angry about her performance over the last decade or more. But they were saying we don't know who to vote for. We don't know mm. whether we should back Labour or the Liberal Democrats. Who can we back to get the Conservatives out? And there was real worry in both of those campaigns that the anti-Tory vote would be split and the Tories would sneak through and, and, and win. And they didn't. So we should explain to our listeners who might have forgotten the context for why this by-election came about. You mentioned Nadine Doris and she was a Tory minister and staunch Boris Johnson ally and she announced her immediate plan to I would to say quit Boris Parliament. Johnson fanatic. Yes, yes, yeah, fan. <laughs> um, so so she, she she didn't get a peerage in, in uh, the former Prime Minister's resignation honours list and uh, she said that she would resign over that, but then she delayed it until August, which means the contest has actually been sort of artificially running for a long time. I think Labour's campaign has been stationed there since her announcement. And at first, I remember when she announced that she wanted to stand down as an MP, people thought, oh, this is going to be another one of those ones where the Lib Dems leapfrog Labour and Conservatives to come first because it's one of those semi-rural I suppose, blue wallish seats. But actually, the narrative changed quite fast and Labour thought they might actually be able to take it. And that's why you had this three-way race rather than 
in the way that one Labour source described it to be a non-aggression pact, as has been evident in other by-elections. Yeah, that's exactly right. The Liberal Democrats were the bookie's favourite when she initially announced she was resigning, which was in June. Obviously, as you say, she didn't formally stand down until 10 weeks later. So we had we had a 10-week shadow by-election campaign yeah. where the, the the other parties were raring to go, but it hadn't actually been, been called yet. The Liberal Democrat argument was that this seat, which is north of London, home counties, very rural. It doesn't have a clear urban centre. It's got a couple of towns. It's got Flittock. It's got Shefford. Um, It's it's near Bedford. It's got parts of Bedford, obviously. Um, But it doesn't have a a kind of clear urban centre. And it's very rural. And the Liberal Democrats compared it to seats like Somerton and Froome, obviously, which they won uh, over the summer, but also like Chesham and Amersham, a seat that's kind of on the periphery of London. So if you if you were a London professional at some point, but you wanted to move somewhere greener or have more space, you might end up somewhere like that with also the rural vote in the villages and people who have voted Conservative for generations. And we should say that um, Mid-Bedfordshire has been a Conservative seat since 1931, like for nearly a century. And they said, the Liberal Democrats said, like, we're the clear party to take this because people will switch to us, but they won't switch to Labour. And I think maybe back in June, they were expecting Labour to sit it out as they did. I know you went down to Somerton. Mm. You you saw the Liberal Democrat candidate posing with two horses to show that it was a two horse race. Yes, exactly. Labour lost their deposit in that election. They didn't yeah. even try. This one was very different. I think the Liberal Democrats were a bit taken aback by the fact that Labour wanted to fight it really hard. And uh, the campaign literature that I saw, the, the, the Liberal Democrats basically said, uh, you know, we are the only party. If you don't want the Tories, you know, vote for us. And the Labour leaflets kind of said the same thing. Um, and I can see why it was like a clear Lib Dem target seat. And they did very well in it as well. We, we, we should say, I think, the deputy Lib, Lib Dem leader is pointing out that if that swing to the Lib Dems was replicated on a national scale, they'd win dozens of seats. But it's a real success story for Labour winning in a place that you wouldn't expect Labour to ever be able to win. And I, I spoke to their candidate now, the the, the MP, Alice Stratham there, um, and he was saying that they have seen people who were lifelong Conservative voters switching to Labour, not staying home, which is what the Conservative narrative is, people stayed home, not switching to the Lib Dems as a kind of protest vote, but actively switching from Tory to Labour because they are so fed up with Nadine Doris and with the Conservatives at the moment. And that, I think, is a really crucial bit of election insight. Yeah. And and did you did you think that was the reason why Labour won? Um, that the switching or what else was it that made them win in a seat that they've never won before with think- a demographic <laughs> that you wouldn't necessarily associate with Labour? Um I think two things. One, the anger at Nadine Doris. I got some great quotes uh, about her from from her enraged locals. As much use as a chocolate fireplace was my favourite. People saying that they just never seen her. They felt taken for granted. She didn't hold constituency surgeries. Huge focus in this by-election on local issues. All three of the candidates were bigging up their local credentials and accusing each other of not being local enough. There was a big emphasis on GP provision and healthcare provision and, and the fact that they've got one of the lowest ratios of uh, highest ratios, the, the fewest number of doctors per people in the constituency. Yeah. And obviously the cost of living crisis being a really big one as well, because even though it's considered a really affluent area, yeah. um, very high proportion own their homes with mortgages and obviously interest rates have an impact there. So real anger at 
Nadine Doris and just like wanting to, as one as as one voter put it to me, stick two fingers up. But the demographics point is also interesting, I think, because it's one of those seats that is on the periphery of several cities. So you've got London. It's also close to Cambridge. It's close to Milton Keynes. And I think it speaks to a trend of young people who work in those urban centres being priced out of London. Cambridge is Mm. one of the most expensive parts of the country as well and being pushed into the outskirts, areas that were true blue, but they can't get houses in the urban centres because you haven't built anything for a decade and a half. Um, And so that's having an impact as well. So a lot of young people, a lot of new housing development, a lot of anger on the fact that the new housing development hasn't been matched with new facilities and provisions, you know, GP, school places, that kind of thing. But I think it does come down to the housing crisis in a way as well, because if we had built more homes for young people in cities, they would be forced out. And the failure to do that is actually damaging the Conservatives in their heartlands because their heartlands are now full of young people who can't afford to to live in the urban centres. That's really interesting because you might have thought that Keir Starmer's comments that he would ignore opposition to... Mm planning, uh, bulldozing through planning regulations, I think is how he put it, might be off-putting to voters in seats like Mid-Bedfordshire. You saw what happened in Chesham and Amersham. It was seen widely as a sort of referendum on Boris Johnson, then Boris Johnson's, um, you know, planning reforms that were supposed to radically shake up the system. Yeah, exactly. So when I heard Keir Starmer make that announcement at Labour Party conference, it was a few days after I'd visited the constituency and I thought, oh, this is really risky for Mm. exactly that reason, because people did talk about development and uh, too many too many new people without enough provisions for for actually li- them living there yeah. there's this new town Wixoms that um, started being built in 2007 about 5,000 people live there now they were promised a GP surgery it hasn't happened you've got 5,000 people who have to drive a 12 mile round trip to see a doctor you know that kind of thing um, so I did think that was a risk when he put that so strongly that he was in favour of it and, and, and would go forward with new development. But at the same time, the people of the doorstep, they weren't necessarily worried about the, the new housing. They were worried about the fact that it hadn't been matched with right. any of the infrastructure yeah. that you need for new housing. And they were really worried about housing costs as, as well for their, for their children and their families and local people being priced out of the area as well. So I think that message that seemed a bit high risk when, when when he said it, there is clearly a demographic of the electorate that hears that and goes, good, that's what we need. And, and lastly, what do you think it, it says about the relationship between Labour and Lib Dems and the sort of opportunities for those sort of quiet, informal, OK, you take this one and we'll take that one kind of scenarios in future, both by-elections and the general election? It got pretty bitter, I yeah. would say. I mean, but, but both both the candidates that I spoke to were absolutely lovely and gracious and polite and civil about one another. But I think the campaign literature wasn't, um, and was 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 very stark in the message it was trying to convey. And both candidates said that if the result went the other way and the Tories were able to. To, to get ahead because the vote had been split, they'd be absolutely devastated by that, but not devastated enough to stand aside. So I think there is bitterness there. And I think on the Lib Dem side, they probably think that if Labour had backed down very clearly, that would be 
their seats. So um, it's there aren't, as I said, there, there aren't that many seats where that kind of thing is applicable. Usually yes. it's very clear who the challenger is, yeah. but I don't think there's a lot of warm, cuddly feelings between Labour and the Thames <laughs> at the moment. Well, I think in a way it's helpful for them because they're often being accused of stitching things up by by the yeah. Tories. Um, and so it's, it's helpful to sort of say, well, no, we didn't make a pact. Look, clearly we were, you know, fighting tooth and nail for this seat against one another. So perhaps you know, in terms of optics, at least, it's helpful. But Rachel, you've got to go and talk about this all over again on Politics Live I on do. BBC Two, I'm so I'd better let you go. dash off and leave you in the very capable hands of Ben Walker. <laughs> Good luck on TV. Thank you. After the break, we'll be joined by Ben Walker, our senior data journalist and polling expert, to discuss the numbers. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on The New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, Ben. Thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, first of all, I'd just like to know what you made of these results oh well um britain predicts forecast um tamworth to be split 50 50 or 40 percent conservative 40 percent labor um it, it didn't work out like that it was uh, a labor gain by, with a majority of five points overperforming what the polls were saying um mid bedfordshire you know, you know when the by-election was called, or rather even before then, when mm. we knew Nadine Doris was going to resign and then she took God knows how long to resign, yes. I was writing up the seat as, come on, look, Labour doesn't have much of a ground game here, nor do the Lib Dems, mm -hmm. but you look at the voters, you know this is a countryside seat. The Lib Dems should be going for this type of place, OK? Because normally anything larger than X... Labour doesn't normally touch because they don't have a ground game and they make a quite educated cost based assumption that they're mm -hmm. not going to gain there. This is the election where they took a cheeky punt and <laughs> you're speaking to people who actually organised it. They treated it like that at the start. They thought, OK, let's give a go. Let's see what happens if we actually go out to these seats, these villages, these tiny towns, mid Bedfordshire, you know, its largest town is Flitwick, which is 20,000 people. That's nothing in a seat of um, 70, 80,000 people. That, that's, that's really nothing. And what they did is they said, OK, let's have a go. Let's go out to these towns and the villages and let's campaign in a sort of different way. And they did. And if you look at the Labour literature put out in mid-Bedfordshire, it's not red, it's pink. It's pink, it looks like country life. Okay, and that, that, that's what surprises you. Labour didn't run a stereotypically Labour campaign in mid-Bedfordshire. And they struck gold. It really is quite quite something surprising there. And, it, and what it shows this is that in some parts of the country, voters are just waiting to meet certain candidates or certain parties to then consider voting for them. Because if those candidates or parties don't campaign there, those people will never vote for those parties or candidates. And by and large, in a lot of countryside England and Wales, and actually Scotland as well, 
the Labour campaign has just been non-existent in these countryside parts. And that's what ha- that's what's happened as a co- what what's happened as a consequence is the Labour vote has just been non-existent and the Lib Dems have been, been allowed to clean up mm. um, mid Bedfordshire, complete reversal of that. It is astonishing. And this is this is the takeaway you all, you need to remember. Labour didn't need Tamworth or mid Bedfordshire to get a majority. Labour didn't need Tamworth or mid Bedfordshire to get 400 seats. Labour didn't need Tamworth or Mid Bedfordshire to get 420 seats or 430. By about 440, you start winning uh, mm. Tamworth. Mid Bedfordshire is closer to, I think, 500 seats. Okay, so th- these are really out of the realms of what Labour should reasonably be targeting at a general election. You know, and and what does that say? What does that say that these fell so easily into the laps of the Labour Party? Um, it illustrates Tory apathy on a scale that we have seen in the past, but normally rallies at a general election. But um, really, this this is this is not a protest party winning by-elections. This isn't the Lib Dems winning by-elections. This isn't UKIP. It's it's the party of apparent government, Labour, winning the by-elections. That's what makes it so significant. That's so interesting. Conservative MPs and spokespeople today are trying to say our voters stayed at home or, you know, some some on the party's right are saying that they voted uh, for reform in in um, in Tamworth rather than switching to Labour. What do you make of those claims? Yeah. So so I've, I've heard it as well. Conservative MPs, they're waking up and they're sort of saying, well, look, this is midterm parliament. Our vote is staying at home. Come a general election, they will come out for us. And Okay, look, let's take it on face value. Um, That does normally happen in normal. You you know, we've all heard of midterm parliament polling Um, in the middle of the 2010-15 years when Ed Miliband was Labour leader. They were have they were coming away with 10, 15, 20 point leads sometimes. And a lot of us, a lot of us when we would (laughs) we were all thinking, yeah, Labour probably will win the next election because of that. Mm. But the fundamentals were different. You know, the Tories still had a lead on the economy. Cameron still led Miliband on likability. Yeah. Um, the fundamentals, you know, were still very, very geared in favour of the Tories. This is not now. This is not now. The idea that um, the governing party rallies their base for an election is predicated on the fact the governing party has something to rally with a good theme in mind. And right now they don't. So a bit of history. Um, normally, a governing party gets... 10% more than it does in a midterm parliament. So let's say you're on 30% now. And what that means is, according to history, on average, you get 10% more. If you're on 30% now, what's 10% of 30%? Three points. So if you're on 30% now, you'll probably end up with 33% come the next election. Right now, the Conservatives are on, I think it's 27%. What's mm-hmm. 10% of that? let's say three points as well. Mm-hmm. So if you assume history repeats itself, if you assume it's just going to be an average repeat of history, the Tories who are polling 27% now will probably end up on 30%. And Labour, currently on 40, 44%, will end up on 41 So if you assume voters rally back to the government like they have in the past, yeah, um, you're going to pretty much end up with uh, Labour coming ahead with a 10, 11 point lead. Okay, that's probably the average. Now, will that happen? There's pretty good reason to not not think that that will happen. You need to bear in mind, how do Tory voters, how does that Tory base that's very apathetic right now feel about Keir Starmer and the Labour Party? Well, half of them are not bothered if Starmer wins the next election. A quarter of them 
actually want Starmer to win the next election. <laughs> when they look at the policies the Tory party put about after conference, good opinion research here, um, ask, ask Tory voters, do you think the Tories under Rishi Sunak have good policies? 45% um, yes said yes, 34% said no, which if that was a country, if that was the country at large, you would think, okay, the Tories are cruising to mm -hmm. a decent win. But that's the Tory base. Yeah. That's those that backed Boris Johnson's great Get Brexit Done in 2019. For your base to be that split, for half your base to not be bothered about the idea of a Labour landslide, for half your base or thereabouts a third closer to think you do not have good policies, these apathetic voters will not rally to you like uh, history has shown in a general election. You're going to need to do a lot more than that. And that's why I say when, when Conservative MPs comfort themselves hmm. saying Midbeds and Tamworth is just the, the case of people staying at home. Yes, it is. A lot of this is down to Tory voters staying at home. Labour are netting support, absolutely. But don't bank on them coming out for you in a general election. There's no guarantee of that anymore. That's really interesting. And something else Rachel and I were discussing was what does the mid-beds um, campaign in terms of it being this three-way battle mm. tell us about future seats that might have similar dynamics in terms of the relationship between Labour and the Lib Dems? Yeah, so I was, I was sort of having a think about this. Um, the mid-bedfordshire by-election campaign between Labour and the Lib Dems, let's, let's, let's face it, it was pretty nasty. Wasn't it? It wasn't the nicest thing on the planet. And I think, I think we're, we're all getting the impression this morning that Labour and the Lib Dems are starting to get pally pally again. The Lib Dems are sort of coming up with their tail between their legs saying, well, we won you the seat. We took enough Tory votes in villages to hand it to you, right? Yeah, you should be very grateful. I'm not sure if that's true. We don't really know. We don't know the splits by village. I could try and work it out later, but um, I'm quite tired right now. But but um, but but it is something to consider. Yeah, there are enough seats, right? When it comes to a general election, is Labour going to go out and target everywhere? Like like the Lib Dems did in 2019 with Joe Swinson proclaiming herself as new prime minister mm -hmm. and putting resources into seats like Rushcliffe or Ken Clark's old seat. OK, yeah. is Labour going to do that? Um, a bit of me doesn't think so, because this is a by-election. This is where you have, you know, in, in principle, an infinite budget to mess around with. You're not going to have that in a general election. You're going to want to target your resources effectively. I think, though, um, if you rewind yourself back to the last election, uh, there's about um, uh, a few seats, one, two, three, maybe a half a dozen, where the Lib Dems were gunning in areas where the Tories, where where, where Labour were gunning. So we're talking Finchley and Golders Green, we're talking Wimbledon, we're talking, uh, oh yeah, cities of London and Westminster and, and I think Hammersmith as well. You know, it was quite split. Don't think it's going to stay that way. I think a lot of that was Remainers uh, yes. going from Labour to Lib Dems. I think that's going to sort of die away. And I think the Lib Dems know that. I don't think that there are that many seats in which Labour and the Lib Dems will be competing or arguing over who should target. I think, to be honest with you, um, there's about 60 to 70 seats probably the Lib Dems can put in some good resources into, and they'll probably win about um, 40 plus of them with a good amount of tactical voting. And of all the, of those seats, I think almost all of them don't have any sizable Labour representation yeah. at all. Well, it's interesting because you you mentioned the fact that in by-elections, things are very different because parties target resources and time at these seats in a way that they couldn't do in a general election for every seat that they might be in a chance with winning. So how, I mean, it's the perennial question, but how much how much can we actually take from by-election wins like this? Um, <laughs> don't know. This is, this, is, <laughs> this is a hard thing because I said at the start, 
or when we were talking about the Tory MPs, you know, comforting themselves with saying, oh, it's just apathetic voters staying at home. They'll rally back. History shows some of them do. Some of them do. And this is the extreme instance writ large of the Tory base being apathetic and a good chunk actually going to Labour. Just bear this in mind. 40, 40 percent of those that voted Tory last time say they're going to stick with the Tories. Around about 20 to 30 percent say they're unsure or won't vote. They're the apathetic bunch that the Tories need to squeeze. You have about 10 to 15 and sometimes as high as 20 percent saying they're voting Labour. And then you have about 5 percent going Lib Dem, maybe 10 percent going Reform. Um, I think the idea that it's just going to get squeezed and squeezed and squeezed as history isn't as isn't as isn't the guarantee it was because half the Tory base aren't bothered by the idea about Starmer winning. Half the Tory base don't think um, Rishi Sunak has good policies and more voters increasingly trust Labour to run the economy. You know, the, uh, no drama with Keir Starmer is a meme, but it actually is what a lot of voters feel. This is not a dramatic <laughs> leader. This isn't a man who's going to be a, a radical redistributionist that you need to fear for, which might annoy certain you know <laughs> elements of the left of the party and certain some of us in in, in the media but um when you're trying to stop tories or trying to turn off tories from coming out against you you're winning and i and i, I really do think tory mps comforting themselves would um i would say you, you would probably be a lot more you'd be more right if the labor leader was uh, hated by his opponents and by opponents i mean tory opponents um but that's not the case here I actually think the fact Keir Starmer has been, in the eyes of some of us, a bit of a wet wipe or, well, you know, just a non-entity is actually is now beginning to help him because voters aren't really caring if he wins now. And what that means is Tory apathy will probably stay that way. Yeah. Brilliant, Ben. Well, thanks so much for all your insights on this. You must be quite tired, so I'm going to let you get back to your day. Although I do expect you uh, to do that research into whether or not the Lib Dems really did deliver those uh, those villages for, for, for a Tory defeat. And thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to submit a question for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. We'll be back with the normal you ask us next week. If you're listening on Spotify, just scroll down on the episode page and type your reply there. Or if if you're watching on YouTube, you can leave a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues, Rachel Cunliffe and Ben Walker. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.